And so let's hear God's word, James 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Again, God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. May he bring his blessing as we hear it as well. Well, this is certainly a, a Big text that deals with the whole issue of prayer, the reality of prayer in our lives. I would estimate that many of you, once suffering becomes a part of your life, verse 13, one of the first things you do is pray. And perhaps one of the first things you pray is, Lord, take away this suffering. It's making my life hard. I I need to be freed from it. Uh, You've heard me say before that's not necessarily uh, the Lord's will. Uh, It's not necessarily the way that we should be praying. But it's an instinct, isn't it, when life becomes difficult? We pray. We pray. Even the unbeliever, when life becomes difficult, they sometimes pray. Although they're not too sure who they're praying to or even how to pray. But he goes on there to talk about prayer, and he talks about how effectual it is. And it's always struck me, I've heard this many times, perhaps some of you have even said, prayer works. I want to diminish that thought a little bit. We are called to pray, but I think it's more accurate for us to say, God works. God works when we pray. And I believe that there's a message that James is trying to get out about prayer is the fact that God works when we pray. And if that doesn't amaze you, then you do not know God and you do not know who you are before God. Because who of us think that we can move God to work? Because of ourselves. Who of us here think that we are worthy enough to even come to God and to pray? And yet we are exhorted and encouraged to that end to pray. And to understand that when we pray, 
God works. Now that doesn't change his sovereignty. It doesn't change who he is or the purposes and plans that he sets in motion for the world. It doesn't change his decrees or his predestining graces. But he works. And we see him work when we pray. It's when you don't pray that you're more inclined to think, does God care? Is God even hearing me? You know, one of the real signs of a mature faith in Christ is becoming this person described in verse 16, that righteous man, that effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That's a sign of a mature Christian. One who prays. One who prays earnestly, effectively, fervently. It was the sign. Uh, I remind you again, it's the first point that was made about Paul, who had been converted. And, and what is the, the very first scene we're given of this converted man? Acts 9.11. Behold, he is praying. That's the first point of his faith. Someone who has come to faith in Christ is immediately spurred to pray. Why? Because he has the Holy Spirit in him. And the Holy Spirit says, cry out, Abba Father. He's your father now. Pray to him. What was one of the rarest requests the apostles made of Christ? They didn't ask for things from him often. I think sometimes they were afraid to ask. But what was one of the rare requests? Luke 11, verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray. We see you praying. We see this rich communion you have with the Father. Teach us to pray. And that's why we spent that time going through the Lord's Prayer. Effective prayer is using the Lord's Prayer to pray, to seek God. But even more, my friends, what is the greatest ministry that the Lord Jesus has entered into as our ascended King and Lord and Savior? You know these verses well. Hebrews 7.25 He is there at the Father's right hand interceding for us. You know, the, the richness of that thought, what is the Lord doing for you? What did he say he would do for Peter? I am praying for you. And what is the chief means of grace that our ascended Lord has achieved for us by his holy sacrifice by his resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand. Again, you know these verses from Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10. We've heard them often in this series. We now have boldness, not presumption, but we have a boldness now to enter into that holiest of places, the very presence of God, and we are able to draw near with a true heart. Christ has won this for us. 
We can, as Hebrews 10 say, uh, uh, sorry, Hebrews 4 says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to plead, to ask, to obtain, to find. Those are the words that are used there. We can plead and obtain and find help and mercy and grace for our time of need. Why did the apostles ask for seven men of faith to become the first diaconate, the first group of men who would serve and minister to the poor, to the widows, to those in need? Why did they ask for that group to be established as an office within the church? It's so that they could give themselves over continually to what? and to the ministry of the word. But notice what came first. To prayer. Congregation, we need time to pray. And again, I I say this not to shame you, but to encourage you in the struggle of this, but what is your hardest labor of faith? What is our church's hardest ministry? And that is not simply to make time, but it is to take that time to come together and effectively and fervently pray to the Lord before his throne of grace. Before his throne of grace. For us as a congregation, even to spend that time together, it's a hard labor. It's not a question so much of making time as it is taking time. But one of the things that we don't always understand, what we don't always see is what is behind this challenge that always meets us when it comes to being a people of prayer. Again, just just stop for a moment and think, when was the last time you participated in congregational prayer? Not to shame you, but to encourage you to this end. And you know, it will surprise you what is behind that, most of all. It's not necessarily that you don't have time, or that you struggle with words, or you don't know how to pray. Scripture says this, and this is going to be convicting. It's because you have little faith in the one to whom you are praying. It's a question of our faith. Prayer is our essential lifeline to the Lord uh, of heaven. It's perhaps the clearest sign of a maturing faith in Christ. But as we're going to see, the challenge is our faith in the Lord. Not just in what he, he, he can or cannot do. We know our Lord is almighty. We know our God uh, is good. We know all of these attributes of God that come together to frame our understanding of who he is. It's about our faith in him. And you hear James making that point. The prayer of faith. Do you believe God? And if you believe God... Not just in Christ. 
If you believe God in who He is, my friends, you cannot help but pray. It'll be the earnestness of your own heart because you will say, I can't do this, but God, you can, and you will pour out your heart to Him. Do you recall what one of the nicknames was attributed to the author of this letter, which is why I believe in the Spirit's guidance it closes with prayer. <laughs> and, and a lot of, uh, of these exhortations to pray in various circumstances, even when you're cheerful, sing psalms. Well, what are the psalms? The psalms are prayers. <laughs> sing your prayers to God. Whether you're suffering or sick or cheerful, with the needs that you see before you, pray. Well, we know James had the nickname Camel Knees James because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that they became calloused like camel, camel's knees. That, that's why he had that nickname. Camel Knees James. How'd you like that? <laughs> when you think of why he got that nickname, my knees aren't calloused. And that's why this exhortation meets us. And, and, and it's meeting us with that encouragement to pray. He doesn't write these words to shame. He writes these words to say, you need to pray. You need to be God's people gathered together and praying. No, as he says there in verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous man avails much. There's almost this lesser to the greater how much more when all God's people come together and are asking for the same things, pleading with your God. And he tells us here with promise, the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man. And here's the point he's making. It avails much. Do you know what those two words mean? Avails much? It means this. God hears you. And God will work on your behalf to do what you have prayed for. Your prayers avail before his throne of grace. Do you believe that? See, it comes to faith. A righteous man praying. What is a righteous man? Is he looking at somebody who in and of himself has done a, a great deal of good works and just shows himself to be blameless before the people and so in his blamelessness and in his uprightness everybody looks and says, Here's a salt of the earth. Here's a man of integrity and honor. He's a righteous man. If God's going to hear anyone pray, it'll be him. Do you know how many people think that way? I, I've, I've shared with you before that one of the strangest things that I've had uh, in our experience of being down on Princess Street was the number of people who would come in and uh, would just say to me, Father, would you bless me? And I would say, well, first of all, I'm not a father. Well, I am, but of my own children. Uh, I'm a pastor, uh, but why can't you pray? I don't know how many times I had this conversation with people. Why aren't you praying? Why aren't you asking God? 
And while they would look at themselves and, and, and we, they wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say, well, well, I'm not a righteous man. They would look at me and say, well, you're a man of God. Don't you understand, my dear people, what it means to be a man of God? It's not an elite person. In a sense, yes, I'm called of God to be a pastor and shepherd in his church. What is a man of God? The righteous man that James is speaking of here is not an elite Christian. It's not an officer in the church. It's not an elder or a deacon. A righteous man is simply one who is trusting in Jesus Christ. Who is being hidden in the righteousness of his Lord and Savior. Who, by that righteousness of Christ has had the floodgates of heaven open to him and that way to the Lord's courts to come and bear his petitions before God and pray to God as their heavenly father. Is that you? Can you pray to God as your heavenly father? I hope you're saying, yes. Why? Because Jesus is my Lord, my Savior. Because I stand justified in him. I stand clothed in his righteousness. When the Father of heaven looks at me, he sees the glory of his Son in me, and he says, come, my beloved child, come, come, I'm your Father. And this righteous man who who prays is one who knows God is his Father. He's not just this being in some place that I can't behold with my eyes. He's my heavenly father. This righteous man is one who believes the gospel, who believes the promises of God's word, who believes the compassion and grace of the Lord Jesus, and who thus prays. And that phrase that you see there in verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man that, that phrase, effective, fervent, it's, it's one word, but it, it's a word that means he is laboring continuously. He's before his father constantly praying. That's the righteous man. If we do nothing else, we do the most when we pray. And and we have an example of such a man, Elijah. We know Elijah. We know him being a prophet in in the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, uh, the part of Israel that had split away and got so enveloped in idolatry that they turned away from God and the witness of God was all but gone in that northern kingdom. And God sent prophet after prophet up there to say, turn back to me, repent, I'll forgive you, I'll receive you as my people. And Elijah found himself ministering to that nation at a time of one of its most wicked kings, Ahab. We know the story of him in Mount Carmel, how he battled 450 prophets of Baal. James doesn't take us to all of those big things that we know of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man like us who struggled 
Elijah was a man like us who, who had his doubts, his discouragements. He wanted to give up. God, I am so tired of this work. End my life now. That was his prayer. And God said, no. <laughs> Get up and do what I told you to do. It's not like a parent dealing with a child who says, child says, I don't want to clean my room. Go and clean your room. God spoke to Elijah like that. But he was like us. Those similar weaknesses that we have. As great a prophet, a healer, a miracle worker he was. He was still a man with a nature like ours, struggling with the miseries and sinfulness of sin. He believed he was the only one left. We can think of that here in Kingston. When, when God came to Elijah and said, you're not the only one here. I've still got 7,000 in this kingdom who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You know, that's about how big the evangelical church in Kingston is, between seven and 8,000, as far as attenders go. But what is it that James says about Elijah? And he prayed earnestly. For all of the struggles that he had, he prayed earnestly. He prayed again and again. He prayed, as he says there, that it would not rain. And in his prayer, the rain ceased, the cloud ceased, God's judgment came upon the land. He could have given up at that point. Let, let, let me read to you why he prayed that. You might think it's strange, but he prayed that. And he prayed it because he understood that was one of the ways that God would judge his people and bring hardship and suffering upon them if they turned away from him. Deuteronomy 28, verse 23. Uh, it says here, And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze. The earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. That was God's promise to Israel if they should forsake his ways. And Elijah knew that was part of God's will and judgment upon a wayward people. And he knew those promises and he prayed, And my, God shut the heavens. Three and a half years of drought brought that northern kingdom to the place where parents were eating their children to survive. Isn't that horrible? And he's seeing all of this. And yet, in his mercy, God says, now go and pray. And, and I will, in one more attempt, if you will, I will open up the floodgates of heaven, bring the rain, end this drought, revive my people with the hope that they might seek me. And Elijah prayed. And why did he pray? Because he also knew the other promises of God. From 1 Kings 8. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. When they pray towards this place. When they pray toward the temple. When they pray in Jesus name. 
and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them. Then here in heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, and teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as their inheritance. He prayed. Why? Because he knew God's promise. And even with all of the weaknesses that he was undergoing himself, he prayed. And he prayed earnestly because he believed God. Prayer is a matter of faith. Lack of prayer is a sign of little faith. And boy, did God hear Elijah. You know that story. You can read it in 1 Kings 18. The rains came like a flood. But he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Till he saw the cloud. And he said God's going to do it. Oh that we would pray. (laughs) With such fervency. One righteous man praying. Moved the hand of God. To bless a backslidden rebellious people. Who would think. One righteous man. Imagine 20 righteous people. Imagine all the churches of Kingston praying. Thomas Manton, one of my favorite Puritans, said this, that prayer is the key by which those mighty ones, that is, the righteous ones, those mighty ones of God could lock heaven and open it at their pleasure. It is wonderful to consider what scripture ascribes to faith, pray. What an interesting way to say it, to faith, pray. Prayer soothes out. Prayer begs for the blessings in the court of grace. Faith receives them. And understand, this is a lesson that we all have to learn. The apostles had to learn it. When you look at Matthew 17 and that incident where Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he's met with a a man and his son, the son who uh, is uh, demon-possessed and suffers from epileptic uh, seizures and suffering and throwing himself into the fire and into the water. And what stress upon this man and his home having to deal with this day in, day out. And so he brings his son to his apostles while Jesus is up on the mountain. And he he asks them to heal. And they've already been doing these things. They've already been active in that healing ministry. But they're frustrated. And Jesus comes down and he sees this. And and he, he hears this man saying, look, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cure them. Can you? And before Jesus even turns there, listen to what he says. O faithless and perverse generation. He looks and he sees the people of God who have lost faith in God. How long shall I bear with you? 
And, and so bring him here to me. And the son is brought. And Jesus rebukes the demon. It comes out of him. The son is cured from that very hour. But what is the interchange that he has with the father? Because he already senses that this man is looking. The disciples couldn't do it. Can, he, can even you do it? And he says to the man, he says, do you believe? Do you believe that I can heal your son? You know the man's response. Most of you know it, don't you? I believe. Help my unbelief. I sort of believe. But I have my doubts. Help me. You know, and again, this is not to shame you. It's to encourage you. I think that's how many of us as Christians pray. We have our doubts. It's not always in faith that we're praying. And the disciples experience the same frustration when they're alone with Jesus. They come to him and they say, Jesus, why could we not cast out that demon? And what was Jesus' response? Did he say, well, I wasn't with you? What does he say to them? Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. However that manifested itself in that time. They were there saying, in Jesus' name, come out. It's not working. What's happening? However that looked in that scene. Jesus just looked at them and said, "You, you, you aren't believing me. You have little faith in me. Assuredly, if you have faith as a, you know it, mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved, and it would be cast into the sea. Hyperbole, yes, but a real thing. I cast out the demon. It can be done. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. A righteous man is a praying man. They go hand in glove. And a righteous man praying avails much. And why do our prayers avail? Because we have a Heavenly Father hearing us. Our Heavenly Father hears you when you pray. My dear people, that's the thing. Do you believe? God hears you. You know, I often hear people when, and Christians say, you know, when they're praying for something and they don't see a result, they say, well, God has said no. You've heard me say this before. Oh, really? How do you know he has said no? It might be he is saying, I'm waiting to see if you really believe that I can do this. And do you know one of the ways we show that we believe that God can do these things is when we pray and pray and pray and again pray and pray and pray and again pray. And pray and pray for that same thing until we see that little cloud in the sky where God has begun to work. The problem we have is we give up after the first or second or third because we don't believe that it's God's will 
or that God is going to do it or that he wants to do it. When he says to us, my ears are open to your cry. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are are open to their cry. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him and in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. Do we believe? Do we believe? My friends, that's what it is. For the prayer of faith. That's what it is to pray in Jesus' name. We know we're not the righteous ones. We know that our righteousness is not of ourselves. It is derived from Christ. The Lord is our righteousness. We know it's not about the truth that's in us. In and of ourselves. We call upon him in truth, in the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. In in Jesus Christ. And we have our desires framed by God's word and promises. We know his promises to be God to us and to our children. That's why we're praying for their salvation. And why we keep praying till we see that cloud of grace in their lives however long that may take. Because we know it's God's promise. We know the Lord, our righteousness, is there in heaven pleading these things. Because we know praying in Jesus' name means we believe in Him who has said to us, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What a promise. And so we pray, because the Heavenly Father hears us through His Son. Marvelous, isn't it? So I ask you, what defines the nature of your prayer life before the Father? What defines the nature of our prayer life as a congregation before the Father. Effect, effective, fervent prayer, a continuous labor, believing the God to whom we pray for those seeds of unbelief. My friends, our greatest prayer should be, Holy Spirit, fill us that we would hear your, your Im, impressing upon our hearts pray 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 are you a people of prayer oh may that define us let's let's pray